now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Samuel Chong, certified court interpreter and Chinese translator living in Los Angeles, who arranged for the Chinese publication of Michel DeMarquet's book, Thea Uba Prophecy, The Golden Planet. This book is about DeMarquet's alien abduction and it has been a number one bestseller in Taiwan and a bestseller in China. Samuel, thank you so much for being my guest and welcome. Thank you for having me here. So right off the bat, where does the word Thea Uba, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, come from? Yes, the word Thea Uba is actually the name of the planet in which the author, Michel de Marquet, was taken to for nine days and then came back. And that word is actually pronounced exactly that's the way you pronounced it. Uh, some people think that it's very similar to the pronunciation of uh, Hiuba, which is Jehovah. And uh, in fact, there's a connection over there. Hmm, that's interesting. I never thought about that, that it's very close to Jehovah. Yes, it is. Because the book details the author's experiences and um, it also includes a lot of the information in which the ETs with advanced civilization told him, informed him about when um, the earth, um, the different kinds of people on earth came um, to the earth, where they came from. And also, interestingly enough, a lot of stories in the Bible, how the Bibles in the story, how the stories in the Bible came about. It's my understanding that Jehovah is a word for God. Well, uh, God is God. Jehovah is Jehovah, according to the book. God is the creator of uh, everything. Mm-hmm. He created uh, the planet and the stars, and also he created people and animals. Uh, Jehovah is actually the name uh, in which is could be considered to be Theoba, the group of ETs that uh, has been monitoring the activities of the people on Earth. Mm. So how did you get interested in this book in the first place? Well, in the very beginning, since I was young, I was very curious about the the, uh, uh, the different phenomena that occurred on Earth, such as uh, who built the Great Pyramid and why, and why did so many planes and ships uh, disappear in the Bermuda Triangle, and are there really ghosts around, and what about reincarnation? So I was very curious about this kind of uh, topics. I also wanted the people on Earth to advance much at a much faster pace. So I thought, why don't we learn from the ETs who um, have advanced civilizations? We can just learn from them and imitate their technologies and their ways of living so we can advance much faster. Um, that was considered to me as a shortcut to moving faster or progressing faster. So I was uh, intentionally looking for books of uh, written by contactees of uh, ETs. So uh, when I came to the US, one day I was searching on Amazon and I accidentally found this book. Originally it was titled A Plaction to the Ninth Planet. And then I borrowed it from the library and read it and I couldn't put it down. And then at some point in your life, you decided to search out Demarque himself and pay him a visit in Vietnam. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So I read this book. I thought in the very beginning, I thought, oh, this is just another ET contactee book. Uh, it could be true. It could be uh, imaginary. And then, but when I read the chapter on who is Christ, I really couldn't put it down. I was astonished because um, until I read the chapter, I didn't believe anything written in the Bible because to me, Bible is just a, a fantasy. It couldn't have been true because it's just a, doesn't make sense to me. But until, but after I read that chapter, everything made sense to me. It made me realize how the stories in the Bible came about. It connects all the dots. So I decided um, that this book is a book of revelation. Rel- Revelation to me, uh, revelation to me. So I, I also read the postscript of the book. It says uh, there are more astonishing or incredible things um, that he was not allowed to write in the book, uh, because we are far from understanding them. That really got me into uh, frustration. I was really, really frustrated. I really wanted to find out what's more incredible uh, uh, that he was not allowed to to write in the book. So. Um, that's um, 
why I was determined to pay a visit to him to find out exactly what he was not allowed to write in the book. So what was he like? He was an elderly gentleman, a French-Australian. He was a typical French man with a French personality in the sense that uh, he was very proud of himself. Yes. And also he was uh, very sharp-minded. He played, he played chess uh, quite a bit. And I, I consider myself as an okay player, but I lost every time I played mm. him. Wow. So I used the, the opportunity uh, when playing chess with him to ask him questions so that I thought he would uh, tell me the things he was not allowed to write in a book mm-hmm. when he was uh, playing chess, uh, some, somehow getting distracted. But he kept his mouth shut. He, he didn't tell me in the first time, the first time that I visited him. And uh, he was also kind of um, depressed. That's, um, that's what I found out recently because uh, he was telling me jokes all the time when I was in Vietnam. And, and some people tell me uh, that he was trying to hide his depression. He was trying to hide his true emotional feelings of um, being sent back to a place uh, which is considerably, considerably less, uh, far more less advanced than the planet that he visited for nine days. Because when you think about it, when, when he was invited or maybe he was abducted to visit a, a place uh, which seemed to him like a paradise, and then he was told, you don't belong here. You have to go back to Earth and then fi- write a book. Um, he was uh, really, really kind of um, depressed about uh, everything that, uh, that's the way it is on Earth. So, so I, think, I think he was uh, extremely depressed. And he wanted to, uh, to, to die and to, uh, to really have his astral body to, to be recycled to a higher category of planet. How was he abducted? Well, he, uh, in the middle of night, uh, one day uh, in, in the winter time of uh, Australia, uh, which is summertime, our time in the Northern Hemisphere, he, um, like, he didn't know why, but he wrote a note. Uh, to his wife, I will be gone for 10 days and there is absolutely no need to worry about me. And then he put a note on his uh, refrigerator table and then he was uh, lifted up in the air. And then uh, he was taken into a place by a very, very tall ET, a blonde, tall and beautiful ET to a parallel universe. Uh, the reason he was taken into a parallel universe was to prevent people from on Earth to see them. And then he was taken into a spaceship. Their spaceship is about uh, uh, 100 meters in diameter. It's a round-shaped spaceship. And then uh, there he went, and then he was uh, taken to Theoba. The subtitle of the book is called The Golden Planet. Is it called that because the planet is completely gold or, or golden color or what? It's uh, completely in golden color. <clears throat> when he was about to abort on that planet, he saw that planet was having, seems like having a golden mist surrounding it. It was very shining and very, very bright. It's like um, <clears throat> the planet is surrounded with uh, golden dust. So that's the name, the golden planet. It kind of reminds me of the movie Dune, where they have, you know, there's that spice in the air, but I think it's more of an mm-hmm. old an orange color. Well, it's much uh, prettier, um, more beautiful than Dune, yeah. because uh, it not only has uh, the golden color, but the variety of different colors, which are mm-hmm. extremely bright. And he had to wear uh, a mask, like uh, sunglasses, to filter out the light. Otherwise, he would have been uh, kind of um, uh, drunken by the colors. So does the book say why they chose him over some other earthling? Yes, um, two, for two reasons. One reason was that he, uh, he is a man of action. So he takes uh, directions and he acts immediately. This is what I found out about him, about him as well. But the more important reason is that uh, he was one of the few dokos uh, of the people on earth, a doko, uh, 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 mm, actually a soko, a soko, sorry, soko is uh, a person who has had uh, 80 previous lives. So he has lived 80 lives. He had lived 80 previous lives on earth or mm-hmm. on other planets. So uh, when he was taken, he was on his 81st life. Have they actually abducted anybody else? Throughout history, yes. One other person uh, is, uh, according to Michel de Marquet, 
is uh, Enoch in the Bible, mm. the, the book of Enoch, because uh, what Enoch described, um, the uh, heavenly-like uh, scenario is very similar to what Michel de Marquet experienced and saw. So when he read the book of Enoch, he was uh, astonished and convinced that Enoch was taken by the same group of ETs. So what was the point of them abducting him anyways? Like, why did they, why did they want to do that? Well, according to the ETs, uh, we are at a critical moment of time on Earth, a critical, a critical, a critical cross path. Um, and they're trying to help us to understand the meaning of life and also some of the other important things so that we can, or some of us can make the right decisions. Um, and they're saying that we are focusing too much on our material life and not the spiritual aspect of life. We are developing technologies that are uh, inclined to make us more materialistic. They're suggesting that we should focus on the uh, technologies that can help us to grow spiritually. They also emphasize some of the other points, such as uh, environmental issues and also some of the political systems on Earth. Um, and um, it also clarifies uh, some of the stories written in the Bible. Uh, and they're saying that the organized religions are really a curse on earth because people should really look into their own uh, soul or inside themselves to find answers, not to follow a specific religious belief. So I'm assuming that they instructed him to write a book? Yes. They instructed him to write a book and they instructed him not to change any word and not to add any personal opinions in the book. Did they give it to him like a download and then he just kind of wrote it out mm -hmm. because, you know, I mean, not to change any details. That's, you know, quite a task. Yes. Um, they indeed gave him a lot of downloads. After he came back, he slept for like almost uh, two days or so. Uh, actually almost three days or so. And then after he told what happened to him, to his uh, family members, he began writing. And uh, sometimes he would forget the specific details. And then he suddenly like would have this all kind of uh, flashbacks or memories or downloads uh, sent to him by the ET. So he was able to write the specific details th that were written in the book. Uh, when you read the book, you're going to discover that this book is very specific on many facts. Sometimes um, it's uh, so specific uh, in to, the, to the number of years and, and the number of uh, uh, distance, the, the sizes and also the distances. It's very, very specific. It's not like any other like uh, spiritual or new age books in which the content is very general and uh, with no very, very, or, or with, this, with very little specific facts. Um, so, but this book is, uh, contains, contains a lot of uh, very specific but verifiable facts. So when he got back, what did his family think? Did they believe him? Well, his, uh, his family was divided. His wife didn't believe him at all. Uh, his wife uh, thought that he was having an affair with another woman. Mm. Uh, to this day, his wife still <laughs> thinks so. And uh, his son believed him because his son always believed in the existence of ETs. Have you yourself ever seen an ET? Well, personally, no, I have not. Uh, not even a UFO. Um, but I was always fascinated by this topic. I'm, I'm a very rational person. You know, I work as a certified court interpreter. Mm -hmm. I interact with a lot of lawyers and attorneys and also doctors. And, uh, you know, I'm, um, you know, in order to convince me, you have to show foundations, you have to show me proof, you have to show me specific verifiable facts. So in a sense, to me personally, I, I really, I agree with some of the concepts discussed in some of the new age books, but they really don't convince me that much, yeah. as much as this book, because uh, most of the other books don't contain like specific verifiable facts. All right, let's get into it. Give us some of those specific verifiable facts. So, for example, when the author was, uh, when Michel de Marquet was taken into the spaceship, they disinfected him um, using yellow and blue light. So this is like a minor detail in the book, but I looked it up. I searched the, uh, 
about the functions of blue lights. I discovered that Harvard Medical School had a paper on the effects of uh, blue light, uh, saying that certain wavelengths of blue light are antibacterial and antiviral. Mm -hmm. So the ETs used blue light to disinfecting. And I found that to be fascinating because um, different from some of the other uh, supposedly ET or alien abduction stories, um, this author, when he was taken onto Theoba, he got disinfected, while the other abductees, they didn't get in disinfected. So it makes me wonder uh, if, um, if those stories are, are, are really from the real ETs or, or, or those are just um, some of the secret government programs. Uh, this is one fact. The other fact was that the author uh, written in the late um, 1980s, he wrote that there was a tomb of Jesus Christ in Shingo village, Japan. Mm -hmm. And there was also another tomb next to it, which was a tomb of uh, Jesus' brother. So, um, so yeah, Michel de Marquet never went to Japan uh, until the day of his death. He never he was never uh, he never visited Japan in his entire life, and he mentioned to the specific details that there was a tomb in Shingo village, Japan, and then there was another tomb next to it. Uh, this made me think that this story is true, and also it connects all the dots in the in the Bible. Um, so this is another interesting detail. And other facts include that the, the book also mentions the interventions of the ETs to our activities on Earth. For example, in the 1960s, uh, the U.S. government, according to, to the book, the U.S. government sent millions of needles into space. I looked it up, and it turned out to be Project Westford. Um, and the U.S. government, the NASA, sent out uh, a few hundred millions of uh, needles into space in order to improve our telecommunications. And then the needles disappeared. Uh, according to this book, the uh, disappearance of the needles that the U.S. government sent was due to the interventions of this group of ETs because they believed that uh, those needles would have been harmful to, to us, the people on Earth. Let me stop you there. When you say needles, I mean, are you like surgical needles or or what? The needles were made of copper. It's very thin, like needle-like kind of um, metal objects that the NASA sent out to space. Um, they believe that uh, by sending out this kind of uh, metal needles into space, then the telecommunication signals would uh, kind of bounce back to Earth. Uh, at a uh, like closer distance to Earth, um, then it's going to increase uh, the uh, effects or the resolutions, or maybe it's going to improve the telecommunications of uh, the Earth uh, communication systems. So that's what they believed. Mm, wow. And it talks about that in the book? Yes, it talks about the, the needles in the book. And then some of the readers found out that it was uh, Project Westford. Are there any other facts? Yes. You also mentioned about uh, how they intervened during World War II. Um, they intervened against Germany at that time to prevent Germany from, from being the first country to develop the atomic bomb. In the sense, they helped the United States to develop the atomic bomb much faster than Germany. They believed that uh, if uh, they hadn't intervened <clears throat> Um, there would have been like three times more deaths on, on Earth. So they chose um, like the United States because the U.S. at that time was a country that was uh, very sincere in helping the people in the world. What do those ETs look like? So they're very beautiful. They're tall, like eight or nine foot tall. They look like women, very beautiful women with uh, blonde hair and uh, very kind of uh, beautiful breasts, um, but they're hermaphrodites. They're, they, they have the bodies, uh, they have the genital parts of male and female together. So, and they speak uh, all the different languages. They can do telepathy. They can perform real magic, which is a form of illusions. And they can also levitate. They can move things around. They can also materialize objects. So they can basically perform all the miracles performed by Jesus, because according to them, 
Jesus was sent by them. So Jesus was one of them. Yes, was one of them, yes. Well, actually, there are two Jesus Christs. One born out of uh, Virgin Mary uh, was actually Jesus, the Jesus who couldn't perform miracles, but he later went to India, uh, traveled to China, and died in Japan. And then he was buried uh, buried in the tomb of Jesus Christ in Shingo village, Japan. That Jesus uh, could not perform miracles. The Christ, on the other hand, uh, was one of them who was uh, shape-shifted into uh, the appearance of Jesus. Um, he was um, able to perform miracles because he remembered all the uh, he he knew how to uh, heal, how to heal people, how to walk on water, and then um, his main mission was to uh, preach spirituality and love. Um, and he was uh, crucified on the cross, and then resurrected three days after, because uh, he wanted to show that there is uh, life after death, and then there is reincarnation. What about the virgin birth itself? Do they mention that at all? Yes. Um, they really wanted to create like a phenomenon um, to make the people at that time believe that uh, the little baby Jesus was born uh, in a very, very extraordinary way in which he was the Messiah. And then he was a special person indeed. Uh, they did that because by uh, putting an embryo inside of uh, uh, Virgin Mary's uh, uterus. So, so little baby Jesus uh, was born, and then um, and then the things, uh, the stories in the Bible were uh, mostly accurate in the sense that uh, the king uh, killed. Uh, 2,600, more than 2,600 babies in the city. And then, uh, yeah, I would suggest uh, viewers or, or listeners to, to, to really uh, read the book to find out more specific details because this book is a very uh, dense book with a lot of uh, very interesting information and, and details. And I think uh, it's really hard to squeeze everything into one show. Sure. But I can, yeah, we can talk more about that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Do they comment on how Jesus made his way all the way to Japan? Because I would assume most people of that time period never traveled more than 50 miles their entire life. Yes. Well, little Jesus, the Jesus born from Virgin Mary, was a very spiritual person, very spiritual person, because he was uh, really highly evolved spiritually too. But he, because when a person reincarnates into um into on earth, uh, he or she uh, would uh, cross, uh, go across the, the river of uh, oblivion uh, to forget everything that happened in his or her previous lives. So he, he forgot all the uh, knowledge that he accumulated in his previous lives, such as uh, um, performing all the miracles. But uh, he was highly spiritual in a way. So that's uh, actually recorded in the Bible as well. He was a very, very smart person. Um, he would uh, have a conversation with the preachers um, in the temple and people were amazed at his, uh, his uh, mental alertness. And then he, he traveled to India. So there was a story, there, was, there were records about uh, Jesus in, in India. Um, very, very interesting stories at that time too. I couldn't, I wasn't, I wasn't able to find any records of Jesus traveling to China because I searched um, in the Chinese uh, historical records. I couldn't find anything about Jesus going to China, but there was records of Jesus uh, in Japan. Um, and uh, there are actually a lot of stories around that village and people in the village still sing, sing songs that sounded like Hebrew language. And, and also they had customs that were very, very different from other cities in Japan. And uh, so strange that people um, think that uh, that village, that people in the village uh, got it from else, elsewhere. So, so it's very interesting. Can you tell us about any other ways that the book relates to the Bible or speaks about the Bible? Yes. It explains uh, specific details on, uh, about Exodus, uh, how Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt. 
uh, it mentions that um, it was the ETs, this group of ETs that opened the Sea of Reeds, not the Red Sea, but the Sea of Reeds. And, uh, and actually it corrected, it corrects many of the mistakes in the Bible, according to the book, because according to this book, the Oba Prophecy, um, Moses was actually not a Hebrew, but, uh, but Egyptian. And then the soldiers, the Egyptian soldiers really didn't follow the Hebrews, so no soldier died. Um, so they wandered in the desert for about four years, not 30 years or 40 years. And, and also most of the things written in the Bible about Mount Sinai was correct, but there are some minor complications. So this is one thing. And also they, they, they really uh, gave the Hebrews uh, mana. Uh, that's for sure. That's actually a space. That's actually like a, a food for the spacemen, the astronauts to eat because it's very uh, compactable and it's very nutritious, but uh, it rots um, after 24 hours once it's um, <clears throat> being uh, opened. And it also talks about uh, the cities of uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, it, it details that uh, it was them, this group of ETs that distracted the two cities, uh, not only because of sodomy, but uh, more importantly, the, the people in the two cities punished the people who did good things uh, to other people. So they believed that the, the two people, the, the, the people in the two cities were setting a very bad example to their neighbors. So they decided to distract the two cities. Tell us about what they say about the pyramids of Egypt. Yes, this is a very interesting topic. I'm glad you asked. According to them, the Egyptian pyramid, the Great Pyramid, pyramid of Egypt, was actually built um, 17,000 years ago by a person from Atlantis named Thoth, T-H-O-T-H. He actually was a a regular person, but he was a very learned person from Atlantis. Atlantis was a continent that actually sank into the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Um, and the Great Pyramid of Egypt was uh, built in about nine years or so using anti-gravitational technologies and also using ultrasonic vibrational systems to cut the, sto sto the stones in a precise manner. Um, it was used for, it's a used as an energy center because it can absorb the cosmic rays or cosmic energy. And the pharaohs the, in ancient Egypt used the Great Pyramid in the indirect way to communicate uh, with the ETs from other planets or on other planets. And uh, it was also used to make rain because this, the certain alloys, it could concentrate energy in a certain way that would affect the, uh, the, uh, the, the atmosphere in the sense that the rain would come out uh, and the rain would fall. Um, so it was actually used in, 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 a, in the correct way by pharaoh clips. Um, it was never meant to be a tomb for the pharaohs. And I found that to be very fascinating because uh, there have been re recent researches by scientists or physicists suggesting that the Great Pyramid of Egypt um, was and is an energy center that could absorb and still absorbing the cosmic rays. Do you think maybe generations after the pyramids were built, that knowledge was lost and then they just started burying people there? Uh, I don't know if they really buried people there, but uh, it's true that the knowledge was lost, especially after um, Atlantic, the continent Atlantic sank, Atlantis sank, and also there was another continent called Lemuria in the Pacific Ocean. It also sank about 14,500 years ago. So after these two continents sunk, most of the knowledge was lost because the people on these two continents really um, kept secrets of the knowledge that they, they obtained or they gained. They didn't pass the knowledge on to people uh, elsewhere. Do they tell in the book how these continents sank? Yes. Um, 
Lemuria, yes, but not Atlantis. For Lemuria, that's because um, and beneath the continent Lemuria, there was a lot of uh, uh, ga gastrous belts. Um, so when volcanoes formed or erupted, it caused the gastrous belts to erupt as well. And so the entire continent sank, but there are some kind of remaining parts of the continent still existing here on Earth today. Uh, part of it was uh, the Easter Island, and part of it was uh, the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, so I don't know if you know about these statues on Easter Island, mm -hmm. the, the Maos. Right. That actually came from uh, Lemuria. Uh, people on Lemuria had uh, very advanced civilizations and also advanced technologies. They were able to use the same technologies that they used to build the Great, the great Pyramid to, to build the uh, statues on Easter Island. Um, and, and, but before they were able to complete everything, uh, the eruption or the disaster occurred, the entire continent, almost the entire continent sunk. On my channel, I have a lot of near-death experience guests. In the book, do they talk about life after death and reincarnation and things like that? Yes. Not only does the book talk about it, it, uh, it also describes the author's, Michel de Marquet's 80 previous lives. Um, and the one of the main themes in the book is about reincarnation and also afterlife. Michel de Marquet was shown uh, in his meditative state, his previous 80 lives, in which he was told like, like the purpose of life on earth is to learn, is to uh, grow spiritually and to react appropriately to the life challenges. For example, um, Michel de Marquet was uh, a mining worker in Germany who accidentally killed his wife. And then he learned things about it. And then he was a few times a beggar on streets. Um, and he learned a lot of life lessons being a beggar. And he was also like a queen on another planet in which he ruled one third of the entire planet. He learned many things being a queen, a ruler in that country. He also um, was a few times uh, like uh, died very young. He was eaten by a lion. Uh, in, in Africa. And then he got um, a few lessons from there. So life is like a, a learning experience, kind of an evolving um, reincarnative uh, learning experience in which uh, we have to experience everything. We experience being a ruler, being the richest person in the world, but we also experience being a poor person like uh, being a beggar, being a killer, and being, uh, being a person who helped others. So it's more like a, a taste of everything in life in which you have to accumulate knowledge, accumulate life lessons, spiritual lessons, in order to evolve to the next level. According to the ETs, we have nine different levels. Only when one is uh, purified spiritually can one be evolved to move on to the next level. And then after the next level, uh, you become, uh, you rejoin with God. Do they believe in God then? Yes, they do. They believe strongly in God. They believe that God created everything and um, we are part of God and God is part of us. Uh, because when God created human beings, it inserted a very small, tiny portion of itself into our bodies so that we can experience uh, everything in life. When we experience everything, uh, the spiritual lessons were sent back to God. And then God uh, experienced the material life through us. I'm assuming they say that all ETs are also part of God, right? Yes, that's correct. All human beings, all ETs are part of God. Yes. Mm. Do they talk like the life in between lives? Like, do we plan out our next life? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Uh, in this book, it doesn't really talk about it, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I strongly, personally, I strongly believe that there's a planning stage um, between lives. Uh, this book specifically talks about the uh, choice. Um, when you are being reincarnated, you are shown what is this going to be like in your next life. You get to choose whether you accept this life or you reject this life. So this is kind of like a choice that you make before you reincarnate. Um, it doesn't really talk about planning, but you, you have the choice of accepting one or another. What about ghosts? Yes. According to the book, ghosts are really made of electrons. And uh, because of stat static forces of electrons, ghosts resemble the person who uh, was alive at that time. And uh, because electrons also have memories, so ghosts remember the places that they loved or hated. So they frequently visit the places or hunt, hunted, <laughs> hunt, hunted the places that they loved or, or hated. So um, ghosts are the, the electrons from the person who was alive. The, a person, uh, a human being, not only has his or her physical body, but also astral bodies. Uh, astral body is actually com composed of electrons. When a person dies, 81% of the electrons of the astral body remains on Earth for three days and then goes away. The other 19% of electrons remain on Earth until they're recycled by nature. So ghosts are really composed of the 19 electrons that were made of the astral body of a person that supposedly to remain on Earth forever until they're recycled by nature. So um, in a sense, there's actually nothing to be afraid of ghosts. If you don't like the ghosts, if you don't want them to bother you, just um, use fire or a candle because supposedly fire, fire or candles can really make the electrons like disappear or have some kind of reaction so that they, they don't go around you. It appears that they have been interve intervening in Earth's history throughout the years. Now they've, they have a book written about them. Do you think that's enough? And or do you think they're still intervening in ways that we don't know about? I think both. Um, I think it is uh, something that they're trying to help us indirectly by instructing the author to write a book. Um, the reason they're helping us indirectly is that they use analogy saying that if you're like a parent and if you really want to help your child uh, a mathematical problem, for example, three times five, you wouldn't just give your child the answer directly, 15. You, you don't just do that. You help your, your son or daughter to understand the concept of solving this problem. Three times five is actually uh, five plus five and plus five. You show them the ways to resolve the issues. Uh, similarly, they're just like a guardian to us, like a parent or mentor to us. They don't just give us the solutions directly. They help us to understand the meaning of life, the purpose of living on earth, and the general concepts on how to grow spiritually. So they don't just um, say, give you a solution for the current uh, pandemic issue. They don't just uh, um, show us that those are the people running behind the scenes, um, controlling or manipulating the politicians. They tell us that we should wake up, we should open our eyes to find out what's really going on behind the scenes. We find out uh, the, the, the things happening behind everything, and then we find solutions ourselves. Um, the book actually gives a solution to a lot of the issues on earth, um, but it really is 
encouraging us to act together and to have the knowledge of uh, everything in order to succeed in improving uh, the lives of people on earth. Um, I also believe that they're helping us directly as well, uh, but they're not telling us that they are, they can transform the sh- themselves, they can shapeshift themselves to a regular person on, on earth. Um, and uh, there's no way of knowing which person among us is one of them. So we just have to help ourselves because according to them, God helps those who help themselves and they never serve the meal on a plate. In the book, do they talk about the other ET civilizations that are out there as well? Yes. Uh, Specifically, uh, the author was shown almost 200 of uh, the bodies of other ETs. And those ETs lived on other planets. And some of them look like us. Some of them look very different from us. But those were the bodies of other kinds of ETs um, who lived on other planets. It indicates that in our galaxy, there are about 200 or so civilizations on other planets. And um, the Lemurians actually came from another planet. The uh, yellow people, the Chinese or Japanese, and also the uh, black people came from another planet. Mm -hmm. The Caucasians came from another planet. And the Jewish people, the Hebrews, came from a different planet, a planet of a different category. So in a sense, we are all ETs from different planets. And we all arrived on Earth. And we have to learn how to coexist and how to evolve and how to grow spiritually. Do you think that we all came here still in humanoid form or we had to be manipulated into what we are now? So we actually all came from uh, different planets uh, in humanoid form. Uh, For example, uh, the yellow people and the black people came from a planet called the Bakuritini. And on that planet, we all look alike uh, with uh, minor differences of our skin color. Um, and, and when we came to this planet, we also have to adapt to the climates and also the, uh, uh, the conditions on Earth. So we tend to uh, be more alike after thousands or tens of thousands of years. So but we, we actually look alike, you know, sense, uh, in that sense. The ETs must be not only far beyond us in technology, but as well as evolution and spirituality. Why did they take such a liking to us and want to help us? Okay. So there are nine different categories of planets in our galaxy or in the universe. We are category one, the lowest level. The Theobans, they're on category nine planet. So each category has a different uh, kind of role to play in the universe. We are like elementary school students. We learn the basic concepts. We learn the basic rules of uh, living on earth or surviving and to take life lessons. They, on the other hand, already passed this stage. They have accumulated uh, enough knowledge to be able to live forever. They could, they can regenerate any parts of their body. They can control their birth, uh, but they also have a role in the universe. Is to guide, is to provide mentorship to planets um, in a lower category. So they have been really monitoring our activities since the yellow and black people arrived on earth. They provided material uh, assistance, either directly or indirectly. And um, so they actually are just like our mentors. And some people may wonder, why don't they just appear uh, to us directly and to show up um, in front of the White House? Well, as I answered before, we are not ready yet. We are still fighting uh, against ourselves. We are like savages uh, in their mind. We are not uh, ready to uh, receive their help directly. Uh, For example, if you see like a 
in a forest, a group of monkeys or gorillas. And they were so savage that they kept fighting against each other. Would you like to show up to them and to tell them, we are here to help you out. Don't fight against each other. Would you do that or would you just uh, uh, wait until uh, they're ready to uh, live uh, in a peaceful manner and then you come in to provide uh, uh, direct help? Uh, for me, I would choose the latter. Uh, I would uh, wait until they learn how to coexist, how to live uh, in a peaceful manner, and then I would show up to give them more direct help. It's the same thing to, uh, for us. We are not yet ready yet. When we are ready, they would show up for sure because they showed themselves up uh, to the people in Lemuria uh, about 14,500 years ago, um, communicating to them directly and also providing material help to them directly uh, because uh, the people on Lemuria was um, civilized enough to be able to interact with them uh, in a more, uh, a more equal manner. Why do you think this book is so popular in China? Well, uh, it's very interesting. I think uh, it can be the works of uh, many factors. First is that uh, China is a country that has a very strict censorship on everything uh, that's uh, published there. And so there's a vacuum of um, uh, this kind of uh, similar books uh, going into China. I was able to get it pan uh, published uh, because of a personal connection that I had with the uh, a consultant of the publisher. Mm -hmm. So once it's published, it filled the vacuum uh, in China. So it got very popular. And also is probably also because of social media one of the social influencers discussed the book and then it got the words out and also, and, and then other social influencers began to talk about the book. One social influence, influencer with 3 million subscribers uh, discussed the book and then people just uh, um, became very interested in the content of the book. And I think another factor is uh, probably, I would assume that the ETs were behind it. They were helping us in a very indirect way in getting this book published in both China and Taiwan. Uh, it's, it's very interesting that how I met the author. Um, and I think it's uh, not a coincidence. It's something that happened, I think, um, predetermined because I really didn't know where the author lived in Vietnam. I had a picture of where uh, of where he lived in his bungalow. So I showed the picture to the taxi driver and then the taxi driver um, just took me to that place. So I, I don't think that's uh, by coincidence. I think uh, this is something uh, that's uh, very interesting. When you showed up to his door unannounced, how did he react? Well, when I arrived at uh, his bungalow, he was sleeping, he was taking a moon nap. Uh, when he woke up and then met me, he was annoyed. He didn't want people to bother him because of the book. He wanted the travelers to meet him by chance. Um, I tried to ask him a lot of questions in the book, and he said, he just said to me, read the book, read the book in his uh, thick French accent. <laughs> so he was really annoyed. But then uh, just the day before I was about to depart, he showed me the contract that he signed with a Chinese publisher. He said to me, Samuel, could you please help me to follow up uh, with this publisher because they paid me $2,000 of royalties to get a book published in China, but I never heard from them again. Could you please uh, uh, follow up to see if the book really got published in China or not? So I, uh, I was really kind of, um, trying to uh, make him happy so that he could tell me what uh, that one thing was not reading the book. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really was trying to please him. So I said, yes. And I followed up with him. And then it turned out that publisher was so afraid of uh, the content of the book that they uh, decided not to publish it in China. Uh, they decided to wait for a few more years until the censorship uh, is was uh, less strict, but it turned out that censorship became more strict. 
but I was able to help the book to be published as, as a science fiction in China. Um, and, and then the second time I visited him and he was very happy about it. What about Taiwan? Because that's more of an open society. Why do you think they liked it so much? Yes. Um, actually, the book um, in Taiwan was uh, very popular after it got published, but it, I also had a hard time finding a publisher um, in Taiwan because uh, there was just too much competition. There are so many books of this nature uh, being published in Taiwan. The books uh, about spirituality, about UFOs, and also about uh, other aspects. So I really had to look hard to find a publisher. So I really worked hard to find uh, the right publisher by searching online to see which publishers published uh, similar kinds of books. I also had to be very, very specific you know, in my presentations. I had to cater to the interest of the editor of that publisher, uh, whether personal interests or the kinds of books that they published in the past. And also I had to cater to the commercial interests, the commercial aspects of the book. So I had to give examples of um, the book's success in Australia and in Japan, and also um, on internet social media. So I had to cater to the publishers, uh, both needs, the commercial, the business needs, and also the needs of the, the topics. All right, this may be the most important question. What are the hidden things that he didn't share in the book? Did he share them with you? Well, I was not allowed to talk about it. Uh, Michel de Marquet was a man of action. The second time that I visited him was actually mostly for that purpose. Um, <clears throat> he said uh, he didn't know why Theoban, the Theobans were very happy about my works of uh, getting the book published in China. Actually, at that time, the book hadn't been published in China, but were about to be published in China. But he sent me the email saying that they were very happy about the fact that the book would be published in China. He said that uh, he would be able to reveal to me that one thing that he was not allowed to write in a book. But I had to go there personally to meet him in person. Hmm. It's very reasonable because he didn't know how to type on computer. He didn't know how to really, really use a computer. Everything he typed was through his uh, niece, a Vietnamese, uh, his Vietnamese niece. Um, so I went there in person. He told me that one thing that he was not allowed to write in the book within five minutes after I met him. So he was a man of action. <laughs> it seems to me that if he, if he kept longer, then some accident would have occurred and he had to tell me within the five minutes of, of my arrival, of my meeting him. Um, well, the one thing he revealed to me was very specific, just like other content, other information in the book. Uh, it's not a general concept. It's not a general concept as uh, written by the other so-called uh, New Age uh, book authors. Um, and uh, I would suggest people to read the book at least three times. And if they're curious about the content, I, I can give them some hints, mm -hmm. some, um, some uh, information, just like uh, puzzles, so that they can solve the puzzle and to find out uh, what, what it is about. <laughs> well, if, if you're interested, after reading the book three times, if you still don't know, if you're still curious, write to me and then I'll let you know some hints. Was all the effort that you put in to, to learn this knowledge, was it worth it? Definitely worth it. It's 100% uh, worth it. It's actually the best investment I've ever made in my entire life. Reading this book, finding this book, finding this book reading this book, and also finding the author, knowing that information is actually... If you say, Samuel, um, how about if I give you all the wealth of uh, Jeff Bezos, mm -hmm. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett combined in exchange for that information, I wouldn't have, given, <laughs> I wouldn't have traded that place. Mm. Uh, it's just that important because it's not material knowledge. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's spiritual knowledge and also um, 
Speaking of material wealth, uh, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and some of the other wealthy people uh, on earth, I think they have, uh, they're having a very difficult lesson in life because they need to know how to utilize their wealth in a way that would benefit other people spiritually and benefit them spiritually. Um, I mean, to a wealthy person, it's very easy to be get involved in the material aspects such as uh, uh, buying luxurious cars or mansions uh, or um, be using drugs or maybe believing in certain kind of uh, esoteric practices to in order to quote unquote live longer. Um, mm. It's it's very very easy to get into the wrong path. So I think the wealthy people on earth have a much more challenging lesson to learn. So there is nothing to envy about them. Because when you think about it, um, the important thing is how to respond to life challenges. And their life challenges are more are much more difficult to respond than ours. So after reading the book and meeting with DMRK and learning this hidden information, overall, how has your life changed? Well, before I was a very materialistic person. I wanted to become a doctor uh, in the late 90s because doctors at that time earned a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I also majored in economics and financial analysis. I wanted to play the financial markets to earn a lot of money because I believed I was smart enough to beat the market uh, like Warren Buffett. And uh, now I know that uh, is even if you were Warren Buffett, you wouldn't have been able to beat the market uh, in the sense that the people really behind everything can just print more money. I mean, Warren Buffett, if you earn like $10 billion, they can just print more like money, like $13 billion. Even if you were Warren Buffett, you are nothing to them. Warren Buffett, I'm telling you, you are just uh, <laughs> nothing to them. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, Warren Buffett. And, uh, and I think it's um, very important to know the fact that a lot of things that happen around us are not what they appear to be. If you really um, pay attention, if you really observe carefully, a lot of the licensed medical doctors in the United States cannot waste their opinions out on certain issues and certain topics. Their Twitter accounts get suspended. So even licensed medical doctors in the US cannot speak out on certain subjects. What is really going on around this world? Um, if you really look into certain issues, you're going to see that mainstream media tend to mislead people. We really have to do our own homework. Um, and we really need to see what's really happening around us by uh, researching our own on the specific details that are censored by the mainstream media. So this has changed my life because this book talks about um, the fact that uh, we have been misled by the politicians, by the mainstream media. We really need to focus on, um, on having our independent investigations ourselves. We need to think independently to wake up and to act together and to really not to fall into the traps set by certain people. So this has changed my life in, in this way. And right now, my main goal is to wake people up and to, um, to let them know that the world is not um, like what they think it is. Uh, and they need to um, read between the lines and to, to really do their own investigation. What is the most important part of the book for you? Well... For, it always keeps changing. The more I read the book, uh, the more I realize this book is uh, something uh, that uh, needs to reread and reread uh, for many times. Uh, the first time I read it, I was fascinated by the technologies that the ETs had. 
And the second time, my focus changed to the stories um, of the Bible. And the third time I read it, it changed to a different area. And so far, my focus has been the meaning of life, um, like reincarnation and how we evolve uh, in different lives um, and how different, how we evolve to the next level. It's like how we get bypassed to the future that, uh, that it has. So we need to purify ourselves spiritually in order to move up to a different level. And it also fascinates me that we have to experience different roles in life, in different lifetimes. Right now, I'm a Chinese translator and a court interpreter. And I think uh, my role is to uh, take advantage of the different contacts that I have in both China and the US to, to, let, people, uh, to let more people know about this and also uh, to be able to use my uh, skills, uh, for example, internet marketing, and also some of the other social engineering skills to, uh, <laughs> to promote the book. So I'm doing everything that I can to, to do this. All right, well, can we find the book on your website or on Amazon or, or both? Both. People can find this book on Amazon by searching uh, Theoba Prophecy, and uh, people can find more information, more information about the book um, on my website, which is uh, chinasona.org slash Theoba. Uh, T is the uh, capital letter T, T-H-I-A-O-O-U-B-A. And um, I have given hints to the thing that the author was not was not allowed to write in the book on my frequently asked questions so people can find more information on that page after watching this podcast people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions are you okay with that and if so how can they reach you yes uh, they can reach me at any time and by sending me an email they can just go to my website and then find contact us, and then send me an email over there. I believe you have or had a scholarship about reading this book. Is that still going on? Yes, it's still, it's still going on. Um, every year by July 19th, uh, I will award a scholarship to a person who, after reading this book, writes an essay uh, or uh, invent something that can make the world a better world. So this year, we just awarded uh, the scholarship to a person from Taiwan who really acted upon the suggestions in the book in reducing noise in Taiwan. Um, so I, I think uh, I encourage people to apply. Any person can apply, whether you're a student or you're working, uh, you can apply for this scholarship. It's uh, worth 1,000 US dollars. Is there anything else that you're working on right now that you want us to know about? I'm also working on developing an aura camera. Um, an aura camera can capture the human energy field of a person um, because uh, it is strongly suggested that uh, we do this as soon as possible so that it can help us to grow spiritually and also uh, diagnose, uh, diagnose physical illness at a, at a much earlier stage. Um, there are aura cameras on market already, but you have to put your hand um, on a sensor. Um, in that sense, I don't think that's, um, that's uh, very accurate or useful enough because I, I want it to become like a real camera without physical touch. Uh, so if uh, anyone who can see auras, who can see auras naturally, the different colors that the person emits, uh, please uh, get in touch with me because uh, we need uh, uh, more data in order to come up with an algorithm to develop this uh, aura camera. All right, Samuel, before we finish up, can you give us one more positive message? I think uh, the future is uh, not set. It really depends how we act together. We need the concerted actions to make the future a better future, a better place for the world. Despite what's happening around the world, the pandemic, the wars of uh, Russia and Ukraine, 
Ukraine and the possible conflicts between China and Taiwan, I think uh, really depends how we act together and to see uh, what's really happening behind everything. Is it just the politicians who benefit from wars or from the pandemic? Or is it somewhere else, the industrial military complex or the interest groups? So we really, we really need to open our eyes up. And if we act together, we are going to succeed as a group of people, the common people, the citizens of the world. So there's uh, nothing to worry about. And uh, I think there's a lot of uh, positive hope. It really depends on our actions and we need to act together. Samuel, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. I really appreciate you, and I wish you success with that camera. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.